there, I'm Johanna Grisset. Welcome to another episode of Johanna's Art Beat. I'm your host, Johanna Grisset. My last episode was with Nicola Rose, my friend who did the wonderful film Goodbye Petrushka, which is out on pretty much all streaming platforms. Check it out if you haven't yet. Great episode with her where I talked to her while she was in France, which was pretty cool. Closest I've gotten to France so far. This episode is going to be with my friend Ben Young III, who has this wonderful show called Wild New York, where he and his friend Katie explore New York's wildlife. It's so cool. I really like the show. And this is actually going to be the last episode of the season. I'm going to be taking the show on a little bit of a hiatus. But I really appreciate everybody who's listened and watched so far. So let's get into it. Thanks for tuning in. So let me give you a little bit of a rundown on the show. So Ben is a web series that started in 2020. I'm going to be talking briefly about the show thus far overall. Ben does the show with Katie Luke. The duo really bounce well off of each other with each person taking turns on being the main face of the show in each episode. Each episode is about five to 15 minutes at most, which is a great amount of time for an educational video, especially considering the popularity of short videos, such as stories on Instagram and other apps. I believe only one camera was used and the video and sound quality are really impressive. Ben often talks direct to camera and has a friendly, welcoming aura on screen. And of course, an edge of cool with his often worn hats. The facts about the animals are clear and simple and easy to understand. Each episode, Ben and Katie talk about the animals they're focusing on, or the animal rather they're focusing on, and then they try to get live footage of the creature they're talking about. The first episode focused on squirrels. If you live in New York City, you've seen many of these little guys, so I found it to be an ideal start. Although I knew New York City had a few kinds of squirrels, the regular gray one and the black fancy ones as I call them, apparently there are over 600 kinds. And we even sometimes have flying squirrels here in New York City. I had no idea. They also give a little background to New York City's wildlife. One of my favorite things about living here are the green spaces. During the lockdown part of COVID, Walking a great deal in them and out in nature in general was a lifesaver for me, and I'm sure many others who lived alone. And New York City has over 1,500 green spaces. I also really enjoyed um, the episode on whale watching. That was another standout, which I always saw as kind of a Boston thing. The show explains the indigenous roots of Manhattan and the Lenape people. Several episodes focus on different types of birds, including owls and hawks. The show even touches on raccoons and skunks. The show is really entertaining and informative. It also uses found footage from YouTube to supplement. There are some videos that are just visual with music in the background, such as the one on the High Line when it's raining. Those are lovely, but I prefer the episodes with more of spoken facts. Katie and Ben and their positivity also really help make the show. Their enthusiasm draws you in, but it's not to like that syrupy point that hosts of kids shows sometimes use. It's still very natural. The views of the city are beautiful, including the bridges. The series doesn't hide, though, from the reality of the wild, including animal waste and animals feeding. I really highly recommend checking out this show. So let me tell you a little bit about my friend Ben Young III. As you know, if you've listened or watched the pod, that I like to talk a little bit about my guests before I get to the interview portion. So let's get into it. 
So Ben, in addition to have, having his wonderful show, Wild New York, he has a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Musical Theater from Auburn University, where he graduated magna cum laude. He also has a teaching certification in Fitzmorris voice work from Fitzmorris Institute. He plays the guitar and sings as well. He has um, on-camera training from John DiGiulio and Bruce Kirton. Apologies if I said that wrong. Judy Blazer and Joseph Bates for singing were his teachers. Shakespeare, he has training from Greta Lambert and Dudley Knight. Commercial Technique, Scott Power Studio, and Improv Sketch Comedy from the Actors Project in NYC. Among his film and TV projects, The Blacklist he's been on, Blue Bloods, and Bull. And as far as theater, he has quite the impressive resume. He was in blackout, box out, excuse me, bullying and on a tour. And he also toured in Egypt and Saudi Arabia on the Scooby-Doo live tour. He's done in Bible here in, in, in America, in New York City. Fate Still Rests, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Meet the Justice League, The Heroin Diaries, where he played Nikki Six in a staged reading. He was in the Scottish play. I know we're not in a the theater as I record this, but still just like to say that. And The Polar Express. So he's done quite a bit. And if you'd like to learn more about him, check out his website, buy3art.com. That's B-Y, the number three, A-R-T.com. But for now, let's get to the interview with Ben. Hey, Ben. Welcome to Johanna's Artfee. How are you? I'm doing good, Joanna. Good to be here. I'm so glad that we are able to uh, fit, fit you in with your busy schedule because you're quite popular. I know you are. <laughs> it's so true. Right, not so much right now, but yes, yes. you are pretty popular. Um, and excuse me to my to anyone listening. You're hearing my cat. I know some of you love this. Some of you don't probably. But uh, hopefully he'll settle down in a minute because we all know he likes to be the center of attention. So when I start out these podcast episodes, I like to talk to my guests about how we first met. I think we actually met on the set of doing background work for She Said, which is out now, I think. Yes. Uh, it's I don't know if it's not out now. It's just gonna be out sometime this month. It's definitely out. Yeah, I mean, okay. I um I went to the premiere, which was pretty cool. I, I can see my I didn't look for you. I'm sorry, but I could see myself in the very beginning for like oh, a couple seconds. No shot. There is no shot you're gonna be able to see me. I was uh, uh if if that scene even made it, <laughs> I was trying very actively to be out of frame. Were you one of the revolutionary people? Or you were with somebody. Yeah, else? yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I don't I think go. I don't think they even like barely showed them. Maybe a little bit with the boat. So I'd have to watch and again. So you never know. The thing that I cared about was we got hazard pay because we had to get in the water. Oh, that's <laughs> r- oh, that's good. It was kind of a cool like setting though. Like it was um kind of out in like the woods or something. I don't know. Yeah. It was fun. Uh, anyway. So before we get to your wild New York show, which we're going to talk about, let's talk about your career as a whole, because you've done a lot. Um, you have a BFA from Auburn University and you graduated magna cum laude in musical theater. So tell me a little bit about that experience and choosing that school. Uh, the short version is I wasn't going to go there and study theater. Uh, Auburn has a fantastic veterinary school, which oh, okay. was what I was planning to pursue. I was going to get an undergraduate BS in that makes sense. animal sciences. Um, and then I had this crazy idea because I'd started doing some acting towards the last couple of years of high school that I should try, I should just try and see if I can do it in college. Cause you know what, if I can't do it in Auburn, Alabama, I probably can't do it professionally. So I can just go ahead and put a check mark next to that dream and it's done. Um, so they had auditions the day before classes started for the musical theater BFA track. Oh, nice. Uh, at, a, at 1150 that night, I got the notification that said, you know, if you accept, we need to know in the next 10 minutes because we have to overhaul your entire class. 10 minutes. Wow. Okay. Yes. So uh, wow. I said yes. And uh, yeah, the rest, as they say, is history. I spent four years, um, only two of which are BFA studio at Auburn. The first two are kind of like a gen ed uh, basic theater courses. 
studying technical theater, costume construction, stage, oh, wow. a little bit of voice, a little bit of acting, all that kind of stuff. And then we have a two-year program that is the intense acting studio for both the BFA musical theater and just the BFA traditional acting courses. Wow. Um, yeah, so uh, it was a good time. I enjoyed a lot about being at a non-conservatory school. It was mm, a true liberal arts university. So I got the chance to watch football games. So less and... pressure probably too as well. Maybe. Yes. And no. <laughs> I mean, I, it, depend, it depends. Um, I was definitely a big fish in a small pond. Okay, that's cool. Time, yeah, no, again, it was great. I, I got to learn a lot about what I didn't know, which I think a lot of studio programs you don't typically get that luxury. Um, you are up against a lot of people that have been doing it their whole lives. Mm. Know this is exactly who they want to be. Um, I remember my, my first intro to theater class, people were asking questions about like, you know, when should we join Actors Equity? And, and <laughs> you know, what, what do you think about the latest Lord contract negotiations? And I'd never heard those words before in my life. So um, I, I spent a good bit of time there in over my head. Well. But, you know, it was, a, it was a college environment. So I had a lot of fun. Uh, That's I good. learned a ton. I don't know that I necessarily came out of it uh, ready to be a, prof a working professional actor, but uh, all, all, all the tools were there for sure. That's, that's really, I mean, I'm sure you learned plenty enough and you had fun. That's good. Um, you also have a teaching certification in Fitzmorris voice work. Tell me more about that and what made you want to get into voice work. Obviously, we can see you have a fancy mic, so you've got part of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, the fancy mic is for a lot of things. I, oh, okay. also, I, I appear fairly regularly on a basketball podcast. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, I do uh, a, a little bit of voiceover work. So it, the nice part about the fancy mic is it means I can set up just about anywhere and I don't need a really fancy studio space to get pretty good quality audio. That's cool. Um, I don't know how well it's going to turn out in this. I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be great. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it's not too much for me to do in, in post. But um, what were we talking about? Uh, uh, why oh, you? Well, Fitzmorris. Yes. I had two professors who were both certified teachers in Fitzmorris voice work. And Catherine Fitzmorris actually came down oh, wow. and taught a weekend workshop at our school. Um, and apparently she was very impressed with my uh, questions and my attitude towards the whole thing. And she offered me this opportunity to intern with her over the summers in New York City um, and also finish her teaching certification at the same time. So I did a lot of work in like printing off copies of the worksheets and the diagrams that we use to teach people about the, the physiology of the human voice and human anatomy and all of the different uh, Shakespeare monologues that we would work through talking about intonation cool. and uh, dialect and all those sorts of things. So it was a very exciting experience. It was also one that I don't know. Um, I got more out of it being somebody that was being in New York for three and a half weeks oh, uh, okay. in the summers than I did necessarily as a teacher. I was the only person there that did not already have my BFA. Oh, wow. And I was the first person to get certified that uh, was not actively pursuing a master's degree. So although I am certified to teach as an assistant teacher, um, I've never really used that personally. Mm. Yeah, it, it was. It, it's really a program geared more towards people, I think, who are either going to be in a university setting or someone who's prepared to teach a lot privately. Yeah. Um, now that we're sort of coming out of COVID, I might be exploring some of those options. I've been developing my skills as a teacher more and more. That's cool. But overall, the, the main thing that was exciting for me was it was a chance to come and be and live and work in New York for oh, a yeah. while while I was still in school. So when I first moved to New York in the fall of 2012, um, you know, I already knew the subway system pretty well. That's well, good. I know how to get to Ripley and Pearl. Yeah, <laughs> that's the important difference. two important places. Yeah. Cool. 
Um, and you also have improv experience with the Actors Project NYC. What, what is this? Tell me about this school and what that is. So the Actors Project NYC is a uh, membership theater company in New York City that specializes in agency showcases. So what they help do is get young actors in front of agents, in front of managers, uh, occasionally in front of casting directors with some material that is designed to uh, showcase the best aspects of their personality in a fun, entertaining way and just get you more familiar with networking opportunities. Essentially, they put on showcases that are collections of monologues and then occasionally collections of scenes, um, sketches, and improv that allow you to perform in front of uh, talent agents and managers that are actively seeking new talent and get feedback. Um, That's cool. They'll give you feedback not just about your performance, but they also give you feedback about your uh, pitch packages. They, they'll mm. look at your headshots and resume. Cool. Um, sometimes they'll even check out your website and say, hey, you know, I would love to see more of X. That's, um, that's really, that's actually really helpful. Cause I mean, I've done some of the like, you know, pay for play or whatever you call it at like, um, what's, what's the name of one of those actors connection. Like actors connection. Yeah. But this sounds a little more detailed. So, well, it's a little bit more performance oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times those courses, uh, don't necessarily help you. Well, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to bad mouth anybody. No, 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 no you're not. You're my, good. my, my yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my experience with the Actors Project was it was so useful because you were part of a theater company, you got to watch a whole lot of young actors work, and you usually got a sense afterwards of who is getting called in, who is not getting called in, what types of characters were people looking for, that sort of thing. So it was a, overall a very beneficial experience. I That's know that cool. a lot of people are very reluctant to get involved in those type of mm. companies. Um, but if it's something that you feel going into it, you can be your own teacher and be your own brand manager, it will help show you a lot of things that you may not have seen before and help you continue to modify yourself, not just as a performer, but as a professional. Cool. Are they still around? Do you know? I feel like I've heard of them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the Actors Project, uh, like many of these companies, they kind of suffered a little bit through COVID mm. because one of their main things is get a whole bunch of people in a room and share space together right, for an hour and a half. No, yeah. And we spent about two years where that was not such a great idea. Yeah. We're um, slowly so they, coming back to in some, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They did some virtual showcases, but I haven't really checked in with them uh, in a little while. Um, I have uh, uh, some really fantastic agents that are working for me right now nice. that I really yeah. enjoy, but there may come a time where I'm interested in going back and performing with them again, and I'll be sure to let you know. Yeah, No, I'm definitely, I really probably need to look more into that. That's cool. I've, I've definitely, I know other people have done that. Um, and as for film and TV, you've done a lot, and it's, it's New York City, so if you can hear the siren on here, just wait a second maybe for that pat to pass. There it goes. Um, you, uh, sorry, you've done quite a bit of film and TV and your first one was wall of fortune. What was the casting process like for this experience? And was that your first on speak on camera speaking role? Excuse me. Uh, no, that was not my first. My first was, uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about screen crashers, oh, yep. which is a fun saga to go through, but, um, wall of fortune was someone's Kickstarter program and they were looking for talent to create a pitch video for it. And I believe they were, I believe that was posted through. Uh, casting networks is okay. where I saw that breakdown. So you um, just self-submitted right to it. Yeah, and it was right around the time that I'd started growing my hair out. Oh, okay. Um, which gave me a You can't look, see it here, but Ben has very nice like longer hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and funnily enough, um, I made that decision in 2014. Uh, I had been through um, some, some callbacks and some various things for like different Broadway shows, but nothing was really hitting, and I had this idea that if I changed my look, I might become more marketable. And about the time my hair hit my shoulders, I started working and I haven't really mm, stopped. Interesting. So, 
um, that's become a huge part of my personal brand. Um, it has pigeonholed me a little bit. I'm mm -hmm. sure as we get into more of my, my TV credits, we'll talk about that. But um, Wall of Fortune was one of those ones where I had um, long, scraggly hair. You know, if I didn't wash it for a few days, it looked pretty greasy and gross, and I could look <laughs> fairly run down. Um, and Wall of Fortune was a little commercial for, uh, instead of getting a fortune cookie at the end of your meal, it was a scratch-off board. Oh, and you would just scratch off a new fortune every day. Okay. And, uh, the Wall of Fortune. Caused, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it caused... Um, this, this guy who walked past this young, struggling, homeless uh, kid every day to help him reconnect with his mother. <laughs> so it was, it was a very touching, silent video, but it was definitely one of those where, like, I know the only reason that I booked it was I had long hair. I've definitely, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've gotten gigs because of my hair color or my look. We've all gotten gigs for certain looks. It's just, oh, it's yeah. what you do with it. That's all that matters, you know. Um, and you, you mentioned just now Screen Crashers. I do want to know more about that because you were a series regular on that. And you said there's some story behind there. So go right ahead. I'd like to hear about it. Oh, yeah. So Screen Crashers is my first time ever doing anything on camera. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was a group of friends of mine that we all worked at a restaurant together. And there was this show. Uh, it used to be called ThatDudeWithTheGlasses.com. And okay. it was a fairly popular YouTube show. And he expanded to this website called Channel Awesome. Hmm. It was looking for more content. And they, uh, my friends had this idea for a D&D &D type game where you essentially had a group of Dungeons and Dragons players, but instead of doing um, a real game, they were essentially acting out the plots of various famous uh, television shows and movies, and in a way commenting on them from a nerd perspective about things that maybe didn't make sense or things that we look back on now and think, oh, that was weird or a little bit deus ex machina. Um, so we filmed a pilot for it, and I, gosh, it's now been like eight years and I can't remember what our pilot episode was. I think it was Star Wars, but I, if I remember correctly, Star Wars would have been the second episode. But um, we got picked up by Channel Awesome hmm. and they were requesting new episodes um, at least once a month. Ooh, and we got to, we, there was a point for a little while where we were doing uh, episodes probably once every couple of weeks, which is really cool. We had a rotating cast but I was one of the core characters who came nice. back again and again. And the the fun sort of quirk of my character was I always died in whatever Dungeons and Dragons game we were playing. So I was a character that got killed off every single time. Nice. Um, ah, no, the pilot, if I'm remembering now, was the first episode of, or the first season of Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Uh, and so my character was Ned Stark who got killed at the end. Oh, okay. And then I would be Wash in the Firefly movie. Um, I think I was Ned Stark's kid in another version of Game of Thrones that we did. Just every every time there was an episode where a character was going to get killed off, that was me. That's fair. Um, and that was the first time I was actually able to put an acting reel together. Nice. We had um, we with had your a first one. Camera. That's crazy. Yeah. We had a borrowed camera. It was someone's really nice DSLR. Um, we had some softbox light, softbox lights, and we had a, a few different microphones that we would use to capture audio. And this guy Justin Harris, he did the vast majority of the writing he did all of the editing and most of the directing along with nice job justin yeah no he, he was a real workhorse for that um i i shudder to think how many hours he spent pouring over trying to get these edits together yeah um, and the yeah. exciting thing was every episode that came out the, the quality improved not just our acting nice. i think but also the cinematography and the style and the jokes and it was a really amazing experience to be on this show with my friends yeah um and that was what translated into starting to work in commercials and network television. Oh, nice. It was just finally having 
good material of myself on camera playing mm. these kind of recognizable characters. That's awesome. Um, is it still like on YouTube or anything or on, I guess, channel? Yes. Oh, nice. I'll have to check that out. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, let me see if I can find us yeah, here. Cause that's definitely something people can watch though. That's cool. Um, while you're doing that and you also did mysteries at the museum, which I did as well. It's one of my, I played a woman who swallowed frogs back in the 16th century, I think. Nice. Very, yeah, it was great. So what was your, um, what was your experience? Cause I feel like it's just, it's something like a lot of actors go through when they first come here is do one, some kind of reenactment thing. Yeah, the reenactment shows are excellent ways to get yourself accustomed to working on a set, um, working in front of the camera. It's pretty low stakes because oftentimes right. you don't have a ton of dialogue you've got to memorize. I had it's none. It's just a couple of... <laughs> yeah, I, I had none in uh, Monsters Inside Me, which was my first one of those. Um, and then I had none in uh, in Mysteries of the Museum. But uh, my favorite part of that, and I've, I've never been able to find the footage of it, was I played uh, uh i also played a body double of hitler oh i think um, you told me about this yeah yeah yeah. Continue. yeah yeah so like i i came in with a, a pretty scraggly beard um to play someone's young son who discovers this magic magnetic ball in one of the scenes and then they came up to the end and they're like hey we need you for this other thing are, are you interested and i was like yeah and they're like all right well we need you to shave down um to like just a really skinny mustache and i was what like a hitler stash and they said yes exactly uh and then before you knew it, we were pulling my hair back into a ponytail right behind my head. I, yeah. I was down to the Hitler stash, and they had me in this bombed-out uh, garage over in New Jersey. Wow. Pretending to be a body double of Adolf Hitler. Interesting. That definitely is a story. Um, and you've also been on some pretty big network TV shows like Blacklist, Blue Bloods, Bull. How is being a co-star on these? Well, obviously, it's very different than independent work because it's bigger stakes and everything. Tell me a little bit about um, a typical day on one of these sets, and did you have to audition via video first, like the whole process? Yeah, so it's a lot of hurry up and wait when you're on a big set like that. Mm, um, yeah, of course. It, it's it's helpful in some ways because you have a lot of time, usually with the pages. Usually, uh, as soon as you get to your trailer, the first thing somebody does was a trailer. The pages it's for the day. I'm jealous a trailer. <laughs> I, listen, uh, when you're when you're a co-star, it's usually just the honey wagon, so nothing. It's something. Nothing that exciting. Uh, it's it is definitely the first time you see your name on the outside of one of those. It's it's a very very cool experience. Um, but like I was I was working with this guy. Uh, my first one was on uh, Blue Bloods. I was playing a Russian gangster named Dimitri. Russian, okay. And yeah, I was the I was the right hand of the guest star, the special guest star for that episode. Um, this guy named Richie, who uh, fantastic, fantastic actor, but he was like flown out from LA and like they put him up in a nice hotel. Oh. And I remember uh, he needed help filming an audition one day, and so he calls me to come to his trailer and like very different. Has a and a microwave and a recliner um for those of you listening the first time you get in a honey wagon you'll 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 see what i'm talking about because it's you know it's an upgrade from holding in background but it you know it's not it's you don't feel quite like an actor yet um and then i saw richie's trailer and i was like oh this is this is very fancy um but you know he was a special guest star for that episode so what? that that all tracks that's pretty cool but, he asked um, you to help him with an audition too that's, that's yeah cool. well i i told him and most of the people that i met on set that this was kind of my first this is my first big network role, and everybody was super excited Aww. for me. Um, the director was super, super helpful, very kind. Um, I remember at one point I just tried something that wasn't in the script. Oh wow! Uh, and he, because we were we were on a, a second or third take, we knew we had one in the can. Um, it wasn't a line or anything, but it, we were basically in the cop's face and like telling him to get out of our neighborhood. 
And he asked one of the cops to linger, linger a little bit longer and kind of mean mug us. And so mm-hmm. I just looked at him and I gave him like a little tss, and, t- and, you know, nodded my head, told him to go on. And That's <laughs> awesome. And he goes, you, did you make a noise at him? Do that again. That was cool. Awesome. Um, so that, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's still very much, uh, even on those big sets, and even when you're not somebody who is somebody, it can feel like a very collaborative space. Yeah. Um, I, I distinctly remember my last big network co-star um, before the pandemic was on Bull. Uh, Beth Rooney was our director. Okay. She was so fantastic. That's um, awesome. You know, she came up and she looked every single one of us in the eye that were the co-stars that day. Um, she knew all of our names. Nice. That's and good. Had, and had, yeah, and she had very specific direction for us and made sure to let us know it's like all right we've we've got one we're gonna we're gonna adjust the frame a little bit do something different this time and oh like, God, nice. very intentional about how uh collaborative she was being with the process so even then they're on the big sets a lot of times they, they it's cool you you feel um when you're in the right kind of environment you still feel like you have some creative freedom to maybe try some things and do some things different that's awesome um and as far as uh you know any advice for actors trying to get into the room for like auditioning for roles like this? Like what's an audition like for a bigger, bigger job like this? And do they give feedback in the room when you come in and, and audition for these big network shows? Uh, they'll give you, they'll give you feedback if you're completely wrong. Oh, okay. Um, so no feedback is good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, a lot of times, cause again, like they, they trust you when you're at that stage. Um, you usually have had either an agent or a casting director that has seen your work and has vouched for you and they know that like all right someone they're going to come in they're going to bring some choices nice um and we'll go from there but like i distinctly remember on the episode of bull i came into the audition and i had prepped a southern accent because the jail was getting hit by a hurricane oh and i was like okay. i feel like that's got to be somewhere in the yeah, south, right? yeah, like Louisiana. yeah and they go no 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 we're, we're this is hurricane sandy oh okay <laughs> And so I was like, oh, okay, that choice was completely wrong. Got it. Let me just do my normal You made one, though, so that's important. It's good to make a choice. Um, And one of the things that's tricky for TV and film is because it's so different from theater, where you don't need to reach the back row or do anything that is uh, ostentatious, let's say, Um, having watched a lot of my own tapes and kind of knowing what books and what doesn't and watching people that I've helped audition... um, the small obvious choice is almost always the right one mm. because what it's going to come down to more than anything else is, uh, what do you look like? Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if you, if I come into an audition and I have dark hair and I have dark long hair and there's another guy that is a name actor, that's also going to be in the scene that has dark long hair. They can like my talent. Fine. They're going to pass on me for that. because right. I, We just, we look too similar on camera, mm. but a lot of times they don't know that until they actually see your audition tape and they go, Oh, he looks just like so-and-so. We oh. can't use him. So, um, it's, yeah, it's tricky to not, it's, it's tricky because you want to do, you want to do so much. You feel like you want to do something that's going to get you noticed, but a lot of times just making the safe, easy choice that makes sense for the script, um, is going to be what takes you a long way. That's cool. That's uh, good. I like my, my, my first network TV coaster audition that I ever got was for that episode of Blue Bloods. And I came into the room and it was just me and the casting director. Oh, wow. And the casting director reads the first line of the oh. script, and I'm like, I have the wrong pages. Oh. And they're like, what? And I was like, I, I don't think this is the, I don't think these are the right pages. And she comes over and she looks at me and she goes, Oh my god, that's my fault. We're casting two things right now. I sent your agent the wrong sides. Let me print out the right sides. Do you have a minute? I'm going to audition these two other actors, and then you come in. So I sat out in the lobby and I was like, great. I, <laughs> I, you know, this is my first time, and I completely blew it. Well, it's not your fault, fault, obviously. So. Right. And. 
uh, she was so understanding about that. And I, you know, I just took the time. You roll with it. She probably was impressed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, So you, you never know, you never know what's going to be the thing that, um, does it for you in the room. So being true to yourself Mm -hmm. and not trying to do too much, especially in the realm of television and film is going to take you a really long way. Cool. Less is more. And speaking of theater, you've done a lot of theater as well. You also did Scooby-Doo Live, which you took to Egypt and Saudi Arabia. Like what? How did this come about? And what's it like touring internationally? Crazy. Oh, yeah. So that was actually my first professional theater job. Nice. um, Was uh, going to Cairo, Egypt to perform with Scooby-Doo Live. And I still, to this day, I had just broken up with my manager at the time. Um, And I got a call from them and I was like, you know what, I don't want to answer this right now. I'm just gonna let it go. The one you've dumped already, you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the manager called and then I I listened to the voicemail and he's like, hey, Ben, um, you should call me back. Uh, They want you to go to Egypt. (laughs) So I immediately picked up the phone and rang them back. Um, And yeah, it was, the audition process happened all in New York. It was for a company that I've now worked for a few times called Event Box Productions that's mm. based out of Lebanon. Oh, wow. Um, they're a fantastic company to work for. If you ever see one of their audition breakdowns, don't be afraid to go in and do it. Um, all of my experiences with them have been fantastic. What was it and called yeah, again? The Box or something? Event Box. Event Box, okay. Event Box. Um, yeah, and I have since worked for that director on a couple of different projects nice. too, which has been very exciting. Um, Antoinette DiPietropalo, she likes to keep her people around. She's a fantastic director and an even better choreographer because she's made it look like I can dance a time or two. Nice. Very cool. So, but what was it like just going to like, what's the the process even just of going somewhere like Saudi Arabia and Egypt? It's like, it's Yeah, I mean, we were crazy. lucky there in that the company handled a lot of that for us. We mostly gotcha. just had to, you know, get our passports approved. They had to make sure they weren't going to expire during any point gotcha. um, when our visas were approved for. Um, and then, yeah, get on a plane at usually like 9 p.m. in New York City, fly overnight, uh, get, you know, get to the Middle East and then uh, go to sleep immediately. <laughs> is it like ter- uh, like being in such a different culture? Is it a little bit like scary to like make sure you're doing like the right thing, I guess? Or did you not mu- do much in the country? It's mostly just... Well, I, I want to recognize my privilege here as a, a white American male uh, in that I, I don't have a lot of the same concerns that other people might when it comes to traveling sure. internationally. Um, I did feel very safe and very comfortable, but we primarily went uh, everywhere and did things as a group. Right. Um, at right. one point, we had a day off, and so we took a trip to the pyramids. Because oh, cool. Because how you go to Egypt and not see the pyramids? Um, and so we all made sure to do that together as a group. Um, anytime we went out for uh, dinner, we tried to make sure that there was at least a small group of us that were there. Um, and, you know, a lot of big cities around the world are just like big cities in America. People speak all sorts of languages. Sure. Um, and we had a lot of folks with us that spoke English and were able to help us with translations and nice. things like that. A lot of our crew were locals, which was very oh, okay. exciting, working with people that were stagehands and grips and PAs and things like that, that were um, members of that culture who were very impressed with us as American oh, nice. actors. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so it was it was fun to get to know them and uh, get to take some trips with them, take, taking us out doing dune bashing, which is just... Doing dry, what? And, uh, dune bashing. Yeah, it's just getting out in a 4 by 4 and riding through sand dunes. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's kind of like a popular pastime over there. It's a lot like a roller coaster. It's so much fun. That's really cool. Um, And you also, back here, you did a show for the famous New World Stages. Um, Tell me about getting cast in this and your experience in that production. And I think you were in in Bible as a bartender. Yeah, I was in in a show called The Imbible, A Spirited History of Drinking. Uh, Very long-running show at New World Stages, which I 
don't think has come back yet, but I suspect it will at some point. I know um, I've definitely heard of it. it yes, yeah, yeah it, it, it was uh, one of those rare moments where my day job bled into uh, the chance to perform because the show is hosted by a bartender and it takes people through a history of how we first discovered alcohol and put it to its uses and how it's mm -hmm. influenced our culture and history over the course of, you know, from the time that we were cavemen all the way up through now. Um, and it's accompanied by barbershop music, which I'd had experience singing acapella and in acapella groups a ton. Nice. And I had been working for a bartender or as a bartender for about two years prior to auditioning for that show. Um, and yeah, it was a ton of fun. I was surrounded by some insanely talented people, uh, most of whom have since gone on to do a lot of really other impressive work. Nice. I don't think we have any alumni that are on Broadway yet. We've had we've had quite a few that have gone on to do a lot of work regionally. Nice. Um, I know we had someone that was an octet as a swing, covering like four different tracks in this insane acapella musical that was at uh, Theater Row for a long time. Nice. Um, so I, I was very fortunate. I was surrounded by a lot of hardworking, gifted people there, um, and it was a chance to do some some fun science theater and music talk. Nice. And then uh, one more thing: the um, you were Angus and Macbeth with Stag and Lion Theater. So there, this one was new to me. Actually, I did audition for them a little while ago. But what was it like taking on such an iconic play and, and working with this company? Yeah, Stag and Lion is um, one of the smaller theater companies that are, have been around for a long time doing Shakespeare in New York City. Um, I was exposed to them through my friends Ian Witt and Chelsea Sage, And they just happened to be looking for somebody that could step into a role really quickly, learn a few short lines, and then be another body on stage. Um, but it was so exciting to be part of something that was, it, it really felt like all the best parts of community theater because we were working with tons of professionals that were only there because they love Shakespeare and they love getting the chance to perform it. Um, and this company has been around, I believe, since 1985. Someone's going to get mad at me because I got that year wrong and it's been longer than that. But um, they used to perform outdoors uh, at this community garden on the Upper West Side. Uh, and so it was a summer only thing. And they found the space in Midtown at the Trinity Theater that they've really turned into a respectable little off-Broadway house. I mean, every time I go back and see a production there, there are new elements to the stage design they've incorporated. They brought new actors into the company. And it's so fascinating to see that people, as they have the opportunity and the time, rotate through um, and just perform for the love of Shakespeare. It's a really fast-growing, um, I don't want to say young company, but there are a lot of young, new actors that are part of it. So in a lot of ways, it's in a new reincarnation now. Um, and I love going back to watch shows as much as I love being in them with that company. Nice. Um, so just uh, real quick before we get into your show, I did want to just mention, because you mentioned that you sing, you have a really nice voice. Listen to some of your singing reels. Um, you worked on a musical in development, uh, which is something actually I got to sort of start to get to do recently. Um, how? Tell me about that project and how you got involved in that. And then we'll jump over to your show. Yes. So that was another connection through the Actors Project NYC. Oh, nice. um, I was very fortunate through them to meet a couple of young composers who were working on a musical um, at the time. And I was singing one of their pieces uh, as part of the showcase. And they said, hey, are you available to come? We're trying to set some orchestrations. Can you come sing some of these songs for the orchestra and everything? Wow. Um, and little did I know, the last person that had recorded some of those songs with them was uh, Jeremy Jordan of all people, back before he really blew up. Wow. So, um, you know, I, I understand the skepticism around pay to play for sure. You definitely want to make sure that you're not being taken advantage of because everybody in New York City will, will tell you that like, oh yeah, if you just spend a little bit more money, you're going to make it. 
But um, one of the things that was great about some of these companies is the networking opportunities. Oh yeah, and that was that was a huge one for me. Um, getting to meet those guys and then go in and actually sit with like a ten-piece orchestra and wow. sing for them and do some orchestrations. You know, that wasn't something that I was compensated for, but um, the exposure to that process and and being around it at the time as a young singer and realizing like, oh, I'm you know in the same room where someone like Jeremy Jordan had been just recently. Uh, it was it was very inspiring. I'm not gonna lie. I was a young guy and it was very exciting at the time. So I definitely was willing to work for free for that. That's awesome. I mean, you're still pretty much a young guy, but yes. Um, all right. So let's I'm get- going to be 33 next year. <gasps> I'm not going to mention how old I am. Next podcast. Okay. Anyway, but you're not, that's not that old. Okay. We have, we have, the, that's the years of experience you have and you've done quite right. a lot. All with right. It's very impressive. Okay. So let's talk about the reason why we're here mostly is to discuss wild New York, which is such a fun show that you have. Um, what gave you the idea for, for this show? And you introduce yourself those um, I'll be explaining it before this of course but it's a show about like wildlife in New York and you introduce yourself as an amateur naturalist like what does that mean and what made you get into this tell me a bit about it yeah so the amateur naturalist is just a catch-all meant to cover up for all the things that I get wrong and all the things that it turns out I thought was right that were not right and uh, all the things that I'm going to learn because I am not a scientist by trade I'm not even a scientist by uh, happenstance (laughs) Um, I just, I, I love nature. I love animals. I love wildlife. I always have, um, you know, we mentioned at the top of the podcast, there was a a period in my life where I thought that working with animals was going to be what I was going to do. Um, and so, uh, like so many people, I found myself, uh, broken, unemployed with no (laughs) prospects, uh, at the beginning of 2020. Um, I had been working on the development of, uh, the Heroin Diaries, uh, a musical ad- adaptation of the memoirs of Nikki Six. Oh, nice. Um, I went all the way through the reading of that and then got the, the the sad call from my management team that Nikki wanted to go in a different direction. Oh. Um, and, you know, I, I I respected that because it's his story. He, he deserves to have a, a very, very important say in who tells it. Um, but it was heartbreaking. Yeah, and that's, uh, I, that's rough, yeah. Yeah, I had spent about uh, a year prior to that exclusively working in acting. I was doing the show at New World Stages at the time. Um, I had just gotten back from doing another event box show in the Middle East with uh, Meet the Justice League. Um, right before I left, I had booked uh, Bull and had taken my SAG card. So I oh, felt like I had, yeah, I felt like I had all this positive momentum going. Yeah. And then I get the bad news that like, hey, you're not going to be touring with this show. Um, they're going to replace you with another actor. And um so I didn't really know what to do. And so I went back to Bubba Gum Shrimp Company in Times Square, New York with my hat in my hand and said, you know what? I'm going to wait tables until the next thing comes along. Yeah. Uh, and the next thing that came along was the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, okay. um, <laughs> And so I was uh, sitting at home, thankfully able to collect unemployment. Mm-hmm, um, that helps a lot. I, we, a yeah, lot yeah, yeah. I did too. And as we were transitioning through the end of April and into May and we were sort of learning how to live with this new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in, I was in one of those very fortunate places where I was essentially being paid to do nothing, yeah. which in my mind became, all right, well, I'm now being paid to do the things that I always wanted to do. You know, exactly. that, that question people ask, what would you do if money was no object? Right. Well, I started to learn to play guitar um, right. seriously, which uh, has been immensely rewarding. But the main thing that I always wanted to do uh, and never thought I had the smarts or the skill to try was to become the next Steve Irwin. Um, I loved him. I loved Jeff Corwin growing up. All of those shows on Animal Planet were uh, such a huge inspiration for me. So I decided to see if there was a way to do that in New York City. 
Um, and I would, I, I realized that I was going to need somebody to hold the camera if I was going to be in front of it. Um, so I reached out to my friend, Katie, who I right, just, yeah. who I had just done, um, the, the justice league show with. Oh, she and was said, Hey, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She, she and I had, had, uh, grown fairly close and become professional collaborators through this whole process of justice league. And I said, Hey, I, I kind of want to do something with animals. And she was like, I love that. I love animals. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, neither of us know anything. So the first thing we got to do is research. <laughs> so we we started going into uh, figuring out what kinds of things live here. And it turns out that New York City is home to more than 600 different species of animals, Crazy. which I had absolutely no idea. Um, there are coyotes and foxes and humpback whales and great horned owls and bald humpback eagles. Humpback whales? Yeah. Wow. And all, all these things that you would never expect would be in the most uh, urbanized place on the planet. I mean, in a lot of ways, New York City is the heart of modern civilization. Yeah. And it's still proliferated with all of these amazing wild creatures. Um, so I didn't know anything about how to make a show. I didn't know anything about uh, editing really beyond the, the little bits that I'd done for my self-tape. I knew even less about capturing audio. Um, so we grabbed our cell phones and we bought a gimbal off of Amazon. And we bought a couple of lavalier mics off of Amazon. Um, and we just started uh, going outside and trying to figure it out. Um, syncing up the audio portion was one of the most challenging aspects. And the other most challenging aspect was trying to figure out what the narrative is going to be for a show like this. Um, if you watch a lot of the different animal documentaries that are available on Netflix and Hulu and things like that right now, they're very heavily narrative driven where they, in a lot right. of ways, will anthropomorphize these animals. You'll follow a bald eagle nest over the course of hatching the chicks and raising them. And the first time they fly off, but well, we didn't have time for that. Right. Um, so it became about, well, let's, let's introduce people to these animals that live here, uh, teach them some things they might not know about them and then go out and show them what it's like to see these animals in the wild. So that always became a very important close to the episode of getting me or Katie in frame with the animal that we're talking about and showing that like, Hey, this is not just some imaginary thing. Right. Um, this is, this is something that shares your neighborhood. That's all. So you didn't really have to like raise money then to do it. You just kind of just use your cell phones and got these little things. Yeah. I have since spent um, <laughs> a number that I do not want to disclose. No, you on, don't have to. Uh, you don't. No. I, on, on investing in new equipment and things like that. But, um, you know, we've now got uh, 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 almost 2000 followers on Twitter. We've got uh, over, over 1100 followers on Instagram. We've got Jeez. over 300 subscribers on our YouTube channel. Um, our most popular video just went over 3000 views the other yeah. day, which, you know, it, it's not enough to, to be making any money off of it yet, but it is at the very least showing me that we're creating something that people are interested in and, and yeah. learning more about. And so the next steps for me have always been about, well, now, how do I get the quality to where I want it? I probably spent a month editing the squirrels episode, which was our pilot. Um, it's awesome. And I realized that like, I eventually I just have to put it out there. I'm never, it's yeah. never going to look exactly like I want it to. I just need to put it out there and, and, that was good. and see what happens. Um, it's fun. It's very, it's very Saturday morning PBS, which is the main feedback that I've gotten from people, which is kind of the style that we were going for. So in a lot of ways, I think um, we were very awesome. successful. Like a that. staple. Like that's, I think that's a compliment personally. Yeah. Um, and I have, I've pitched the show to animal planet once on, really? one of their web well, just on, just on one of their websites where they were soliciting new content, but, um, there's been a lot that's going on with the merger between time Warner and discovery and the, we're transitioning out of that period now where everyone is going content crazy and just buying stuff left and right. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit harder to get people to want to invest in a new idea now. So my hope is to continue developing the quality of the programming. 
Um, yeah. I have a camera now that can shoot uh, 4K at 60 frames per second, which mm. seems to be the way that most wildlife documentaries are going now. You need to be able to slow the animals down a little bit mm. so that people can actually appreciate what it is that they're seeing and process them a little bit quickly. Um, that's the other thing that uh, being a lover of Animal Planet lied to me about. Uh, animals are fast and they don't yeah, I thought like being on like camera. Have to wait. Yeah, they are fast, I guess. I, I'm always thinking of having to sit and wait, like you're probably talking about. You see, um, to, yeah, there, there, is, there is a lot of that to a certain degree. But even more so, it's like, well, then when the animal shows up, it's like, boom, it's there and it's gone. Well, how do oh, I, yeah. how, how do I, how am I going to spin that into any kind of like real content? Mm. Um, you know, there's two rules in film and television. Never work with children or animals animal. because neither of them will ever be on your schedule. So um, I thought that was because uh, they steal the spotlight. That's what I thought was the main reason. That awesome. <laughs> they do. No, they, you yeah. want them, you want them, you want them to steal the spotlight. But, you know, it, when you're on a film and television set, the number one resource is always time. Everything takes mm -hmm. so much yep. time and everybody needs to be in such sync to get the shot and make sure that you're staying on schedule. And boy, do animals not care about that. Well, yeah, no, um, they're not getting paid. They don't care. I have, I have spent more time than I care to admit, like out in the woods around New York City, just doing absolutely nothing and twiddling my thumbs, waiting for the animal to show up. And, and oh. then, yeah. But um, I love it. I love the outdoors. I have loved exploring. I've been to... Uh, every park in new york city now i'm, I'm pretty nice. pretty confident that i can say that and how many parks um, are there oh there's over twelve thousand green spaces how many actual individual parks there are i don't know specifically Twelve thousand, really yeah twelve thousand green spaces but a lot of that will include like uh jay hood right that's the park that's right across the street from where i live in washington heights it's a small little five acre estate gotcha. the wildest thing we get there is a raccoon and occasionally like a red-tailed hawk okay. um you're talking but, about in all the birds, um, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I've been, I've been, I've walked uh, 12 miles to the Staten Island Greenbelt. Wow. Uh, I currently work in Pelham Bay Park. I spent last summer in Van Cortland. I spent a ton of time in Prospect right, Park. Because you, uh, you work through, you work for the parks. What, what is the job that you do now? Because you got a job. Uh, yeah. Now I am an urban park ranger. Nice. I get the badge and everything. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely the most fulfilling day job that I think I've ever had. It's given me continuing opportunities to teach um, and develop my skills of like live presentation because we do a lot of public programming, um, not just for kids, for the general population as well. So it's uh, a job that I hope I'm going to do for a long time. And it is basically so this basically did lead to you getting money because it led to you to this job probably helped you get this job, I would assume. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I actually was able to meet a couple of ur urban park rangers um, over social media. Nice. And I talked to them. I talked to them for a long time about like what I was doing, and they really enjoyed a lot of my photographs. And then this job opportunity came to work for them as essentially a junior ranger last summer. And I said, "Hey, I really want to do this." And they're like, "Great, we think you'd be good at it." And uh, so that was what I spent last summer doing. Nice. Um, they were super flexible and understanding. I had to take, um, two days off to go and shoot the, the television show that you and I cannot disclose yet because we're still oh. through NDA, Okay, but that yeah. was our, that was our most regent project. We were on set together. That was really um, fun. It's and, fun getting to watch your friend do, do their thing. You know, so that was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, so my hope is that it will continue to have that level of flexibility. I'm transitioning away from doing so much live theater now. Um, I want to be doing a little bit more film and television. Uh, that is the work I think I've come to enjoy the most. Mm, interesting. Um, and so how do you choose uh, each subject for, for your animal show? Just whatever animal you feel like talking, or is there a certain way you choose each, each yeah, show were, episode special? Well, like I said, there's there's more than 600. So you have a lot of opportunity. Yeah. And in that first season, we tried to 
uh, do a combination of showcasing things people know about and expect and things that people might not expect. Our first season was very mammal heavy. So we thought, well, people are used to seeing squirrels in New York City, but how much do they really know about them? Uh, and that would have been a chance for us to actually go through and talk about the history of squirrels and their relationship to New York City, the different kinds of squirrels that live here. Uh, raccoons are another animal that if you ask someone on the street to, to name a, a wild mammal they might expect to see in New York City, they would say raccoon. Yeah. Um, but there's an opportunity there to still kind of teach them some new things. And then we wanted to look at some other animals that people might not realize lived here, like the red-tailed fox. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. And the humpback whale. That was one of the most That's crazy. Uh, shocking things that we got to do. That's cool. Um, and you also filmed in like South Florida as well, which is surprising as well. New York. What made you, you had you just been going there? Or you just decided you wanted a different location? What was. Oh, yeah. So um, I have tried now that I have this show that is something that I want to do all the time that when I'm out on contract uh, to continue taking advantage of being in a new space and explore the wildlife that's there. And there's so much cool wildlife in Florida. Um, I was down in Miami doing a live version of the Polar Express with the Miami Brightline. Um, and I was going to be down there for a month and a half. And I knew that I was going to have some built-in days off. And the Everglades were just a short half hour drive away. Oh, yeah. And that's a lot of wildlife. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, do you have you ever had any issues with like people keeping them when you're filming? Because it's mostly just you and the animals, like keeping people out of frame or they're pretty good about not like walking in. Yeah, for the most part, where I'm at are remote enough locations that I don't generally have to deal with people being in and around it. Um, we tend to find places that are a little bit more isolated too, because that helps with the audio. Um, if you don't have a ton of noise in the background, it's going to help get uh, your audio capture a little bit cleaner. Uh, and also, do you have like, you've got to have some amusing like uh, like mishap stories or weird animal stories. Give me one. Oh, all right. The weirdest animal story is... Or funny uh, or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, uh, whale breath smells horrible. Um, and so we were trying to set up this shot. Yeah, we were, we were trying. Well, you think about it. What are they eating for the most part? They're eating like plankton and these fish and everything. And they're eating it raw straight out of the ocean water in the New York bite. Uh, their breath's not going to smell great. And so we were trying to set up a shot where the whale was going to emerge behind me. And you see the blowhole and we're turning around and talking about them. And the smell just hit right in the middle of the take. And oh, I shit. almost... I almost gagged and it's like, all right, we, we can't use that. That's um, funny. Yeah. And there were a couple of uh, moments too. In uh, our season one intros, you'll see, we have a, a funny little video of Katie tripping as she's walking down some rock. We were trying to get like an epic mountain climber video and she slipped and fell and caught herself and she started Aww. laughing and I thought it looked cute. So it made the intro, but that was one of those where like, it could have been an outtake easily. <laughs> um, we did do an entire uh, episode just dedicated to bloopers. Uh, oh, it's more yeah, difficult than you would think. Yeah, it's more difficult than you would think um, getting out there and then trying to get all of these lines out in a way that's clear and cogent and interesting. So there'll be a lot of times where you get halfway through a line as you're talking to the camera and you just completely forget what you're saying and you got to go back to one. Yeah. Um, and a lot of your episodes also include Ben music. So do you like compose for the show? No, actually, this is a website called bensound.com. Um, they have a lot of license-free music that's available for okay. the background of YouTube videos and stuff like that. Yeah, the, the name Ben is just a coincidence. I have composed Oh, okay, because I was like, ben, it's his music. He just calls it Ben. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wish. Um, the irony is not lost on me, but I did reach out to them and let them know uh, how amazing I think all of their stuff is, um, which you know they were very appreciative of, and the fact that we linked to their uh, catalog and all of our episodes. They do have some music that's available for purchase, but we uh, I, I love all of their tracks that are just freely available. 
they so seem to like vibe a, really well with the royalty stuff. free like older sort of just yes that's awesome that's good to know um, and do you have a favorite episode by chance or you just Ooh. love it? my i one of my favorite episodes for sure is the red-tailed hawk episode just because it's my favorite animal um and that was one of the first ones we shot primarily on a dslr camera so we had really upgraded our videography for that one um and so like some of the animal footage in there i think is really top notch i had a lot of fun making it um it was one of our first big predator episodes uh the the one that i'm most proud of is probably the american alligator episode Mm -hmm. i feel like the script for that one is really good um i had one of my good friends come in who has a fantastic deep bass voice come in and do our nature narration um and i'm i'm very proud of that episode i think that one uh, showcases the best of like what i would like to do with the show overall um and then again the, the whales one i'm just amazed that we were able to do that yeah uh, i i had just seen an article in in gothamist about how there was this humpback whale that made its way up the hudson river and someone saw it from the george washington bridge and wow. when we were first pitching these episodes to each other about the animals we wanted to do i had said to katie you know oh, it would be so cool to do a whales episode yeah. like can you imagine if that's something that we would be able to do um and so when we were able to connect with gotham whale and get out there on a, on a whale watching tour with them and film an episode it was it really felt like the culmination of taking this project from something that was just a dream that we had on a whim to like wow we did something really cool and really special yeah you did when do you know when we're going to get more content for the show i actually haven't i actually have an episode that's going to come out tomorrow for for wildlife wednesday um it's a short wildlife only video uh i'm working and learning my way around this new camera um that can that can shoot this incredibly crisp slow motion footage so it's a collection of uh various animals around central park from earlier this week that uh, is a chance to look at them in slow motion and really appreciate the the majesty of their movements um, I'm a big believer in that if you can look at something that you see every day in an unusual way, it can become extraordinary. Yes. And so that's where I would like to take the show next is being able to really slow some things down um, and showcase the beauty of this uh, wildlife that lives all around us. Awesome. And what do you want viewers to, to get out of this series? Um, if they can, get out of it? yeah, if, if they can come away from the series appreciating uh, how resilient nature is i think that's going to go a long way in towards uh, impacting the way that we behave because a lot of people think about new york as the concrete jungle only concrete steel glass they think of it as this very very human centric place um and i think that goes for the majority of new yorkers and for the majority of people around the world uh, and even with with such little effort that we've given to maintaining our natural spaces there are still these incredible creatures that don't just live here, they thrive here. Yeah. And so if I can raise people's level of awareness about all of the things that are right here around them, and that makes them want to take better care of their parks and take better care of their neighborhoods um, and advocate for the city giving a bigger budget to the parks department yeah. to help maintain these spaces and these creatures, um, that's a huge thing, not just for you know me as a wildlife lover, but that could be huge for the planet. Um, in a lot of ways, New York City is leading the way in how urban environments think about not just their wildlife, but their natural areas. I mean, there's a whole huge restoration project going on with our wetlands right now because they realize that that's the best way to defend against the next superstorm that's going to come through mm-hmm. is having these wetlands that can help absorb storm surge and stop it before it gets to the city. Um, and that has so many other benefits beyond just helping save New York from uh, you know a 10-foot storm surge. That's going to increase the wildlife that are around us and bring us a little bit better back into balance with nature. 
Awesome. And as we're wrapping up here, because I know you're a very busy man, um, I do usually like to ask my guests, I almost forgot to ask you, if there was a time where you thought about like leaving the craft or like giving up acting and like what brought you back, maybe it was sort of like what happened during COVID sort of, or if there was any other point where you're really frustrated just to inspire others to keep going. Oh, the reality is um, I, I think about leaving the craft every day. <laughs> um, there's there's not a day that gets up that I that I don't get up and, and think you know I don't have to keep doing this yeah um, it, it's a it's a hard life and um, if your listeners uh, take a look at my resume they might think that like oh this is a guy that's really he he's had so much success things must be that's so how easy. I see you <laughs> yeah and I, I I'll tell you that it takes a lot to sit back and be thankful for all the things that I've gotten to experience but the hunger when you love performing and when you love reaching people, the hunger to do more and to do better never goes away. Uh, and so being able to keep that in balance um, with an appreciation for what you've already been able to do is huge. And it's part of why I haven't quit yet. Um, mm -hmm. I'm able to look at the opportunities that I've had and the things that I've experienced and say, you know, I, I didn't think it would turn out this way and that's okay. Um, and I, there, there are things that I wish had gone differently and had gone better, but you're always going to feel that way. Um, I like to tell people uh, the, the Henry Cavill story that he was Hollywood's next man up for almost two years where he was being considered for all of these top roles. It was down to him and another guy. And every, every studio executive knew that like, oh, Henry Cavill's going to be a star. He's a fantastically good looking guy. He's so hardworking. He's so genuine. Um, something right is going to come along for him. And what is it? He's the next Superman, but everybody hates that franchise. <laughs> so you can be at the top of your game. You can achieve all of your dreams. You can have the recognition and success from your peers in the industry that you've always craved. And it's art is still so collaborative that it can still not work out. So you have to be, you have to be satisfied with what you're doing and balance that with your hunger to be doing more. Um, and a lot of that is doing what you're doing, having a podcast where you have some creative control, doing what I'm doing, creating a YouTube series where I have all of the creative control and I can exercise um, all of the all of the lessons that I need to learn about how to become a better artist and become a better performer in uh, an environment where I really have control. That has been a big part of keeping me uh, invested in my growth as a performer. Absolutely, because we don't get a little control to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so to wrap this up, Ben, can you tell us like how people can, you mentioned you're on Twitter and Instagram and all that, how people can keep track of your work and the show and everything, just so they know where to look for you. Yeah, I've uh, I've tried to brand myself as best I can. So uh, my website is www.by3art.com. And if you're on any social media, you can just look for at BY3, uh, the letters BY, the number three, and the letters ART. On all the social media, you should be able to find my stuff. Um, wild New York has not been as successful. Almost, we're almost on everything as Wild New York show, but we did get the YouTube channel. We are youtube.com slash C slash Wild New York, which is awesome. And we are the only Wild New York on TikTok. So nice. no show there. We are just TikTok, Wild New York. Okay. The TikToks are not great. I'm still figuring out that medium um, with the wildlife footage. I, my hope is that now that I've got some more of the slowdown stuff, I'll be able uh -huh. to. Um, I'll be able to do some some stuff that people relate to a little bit more on the old TikTok. I'm a little bit of an old crotchety old man when it comes to that. And what but is yeah, on Twitter, really Facebook, quickly, and Instagram at what Wild New York Show? By three thing mean? Also, I meant to ask you. That. Oh, I am I am Ben Young the third. Oh, okay. so, oh, duh. Okay, yeah. Okay. Why well, <laughs> so didn't put that together? 
that's that's great and the art that's yeah. right i it's funny i i have so many people that tell me they love how easy it is to find me and then i was in uh a class with uh an agent who was like buy three art this is terrible you need to change this <laughs> <laughs> that was one of that was one of my first times just looking at an industry professional, a uh, fellow industry professional, and saying, "No, you're wrong." <laughs> they sometimes are. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that's going to be the other that that's if I can leave all of your listeners with one thing, it's that um, keep staying true to yourself. It's way more fun than trying to figure out what everybody else wants. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Ben. It's been great having you on. Take care. Yeah, Joanne, I can't wait to see you on set again. Thank you. Bye. Hey again, it's your host of Johanna's Art Beat, Johanna Grisey. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And thank you, Ben, for tuning in, for joining me on this podcast episode today. It was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot. So as I said earlier, the podcast is going to be taking a bit of a hiatus just because I want to work on some writing of my own and some other projects. But I really, really appreciate each and every one of you who have listened and have tuned in on the video as well. It's meant a lot. And I've really enjoyed getting to know people um, actually through interviewing them, even people who are close friends who I didn't know, there are facts I didn't know about them. So I've really had a lot of fun doing this. And it's not over yet, but at least for now, we're taking quite a big pause. So thank you for watching the very first season. You can still follow what I'm up to, johannagrisay.com. I'm on all pretty much the major social medias, although I'm not on Twitter as much uh, lately, but um, Johanna R. Grisay on Instagram, still Johanna Grisay on Twitter. Um, when I am on and on TikTok, it's uh, official Johanna Grisay. And then Facebook as the artist, Johanna Grissom. So check out my information if you'd like to follow along with what I'm doing because I'm still pretty busy in the arts. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and thank you so much again. Take care.